And Father, I thank you that we have the privilege to look into your word to learn more about you and your son. And I pray that you prepare our hearts to hear and receive uh, what you intended from this portion of your word today. May we respond and be those who are hearers of your word and also those who, because we're saved, do what you say. May we be those who uh, allow your word to remain and abide in us as we abide in your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you've been a Christian for very long, you'll recognize that uh, although there's much to learn from the Bible, there's much truth that we need to understand about our Savior, and it seems to be a, a well that is so deep it never, it, you can never get to the bottom of it, there are some things that are basic to the Christian life that we need to understand that are foundational for our walk and our everyday walk with Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he has been... Uh, addressing a church in Thessalonica that is a baby church in a sense. It's less than a year old. And we've come to the portion in this book in which we're getting the foundational commands for our Christian walk. And so today we're going to be looking at that. And we as believers never leave the foundation. We, 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 uh, we build upon it. We, we learn more. But the foundation is always there. It's always there. And so today, if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to see some more basic commands for the Christian. And really, we're going to see how we are to respond to God's work in us by His Spirit and His Word to us through His Spirit. Again, 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, maybe that's what we'll do next. been praying about that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 19 to 22. Now, as I mentioned, this is a young church in Thessalonica, and uh, they had, less than a year before, had heard the gospel and responded to it and had their lives changed by Jesus Christ. They trusted in him, and they turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And the Apostle Paul, after sharing his thankfulness for their salvation and what God has done through that, uh, he then uh, reveals and defended, had to defend the manner in which he came to them. And he shared his thankfulness upon that for their responses to his inquiry through Timothy concerning where they were at in the faith and his desire to strengthen them and to build them up. And after that, we came to chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul began to switch gears in relaying really the applicational portions of this book for us uh, to exhort the Thessalonians to... Uh, excel still more in how they walk and please God. And that's really what we're looking at, how to walk and please God. You know, when some of you think about a child learning how to walk, right? You know, we're still learning how to walk in a sense. We're being reminded how to walk, aren't we? We walk with the Lord. We need to be reminded and remember how to walk and please God and to excel still more in that. And within that, he pointed out that it was instruction, that biblical instruction applied to their walk and understanding from God concerning his will that would enable them to understand what he desires for them in their walk. And we saw that they should excel still more in purity. And then we saw they should excel still more in their love for one another. And then excel, excel still more in hope in Jesus Christ. And you see, they were young and they were concerned about their brothers and sisters who had fallen asleep in Jesus. They were waiting for him to come and they're wondering if they had missed it. And so the, the Apostle Paul encourages them with the truth of Christ coming for the body of Christ and not, and those who are, who have passed away will be with him and raised first and then we will be changed. And therefore encourage one another with these truths about our great hope in Christ. And then he goes on to encourage them in the context of the day of the Lord. It's quite possible that many of them thought that maybe the difficulties, and they were going through difficulties, we think the virus and this and that and maybe not being able to meet in our church is a big, big persecution thing. No, it's not compared to what they were going through. And so they were going through difficulties, and some were thinking that maybe uh, the day of the Lord had come, and so the Lord encourages them and comforts them with the truth about when it's going to come, how it's going to come, and that they're not going to be part of that because God has not destined them for wrath. 
And then he goes to begin to share how we are to relate to the leadership of the church and then how the church is to relate with one another. We're to uh, greatly appreciate and, and, uh, and get to know those who, who are um, those leaders among you who are doing these things in which God has called them to do, who work hard, who, who oversee, who admonish you. And we're to do so because of their work. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important work for all of us. And then we are to live at peace in one another, with one another. And then we saw how we are to interact with one another concerning difficulties in the body of Christ, which they're going to come in any family. Concerning the unruly, those out of step, we are to admonish them or warn the wayward. We are to encourage or comfort the discouraged, and we are to hold up the weak. And all this without returning evil for evil, and but responding in a patient and godly way. And then we came to what we saw our last time together where we saw God's will for our inner lives. What's his will for what's going on on the inside? And I guarantee if this hasn't been going on the inside last week, then you've had a bad week. I can guarantee that. But if this is going on on the inside, maybe you might have had a bad week, but you've had a good week because your heart's been focused on the things that are above rather than this earth. And he told us that we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so I want to ask you, is that the way you were this week and the week before? Giving thanks to God for everything, rejoicing in everything, rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In everything, giving thanks. Because you know God is working it out for good. Because this is God's will for you. It's God's will. You want to know God's will? This is it for you to do these things. It's very clear. And it's from this point that we move to our passage in which the Apostle Paul is going to reveal really the last commands. There's a few little more separate things he'll share, but the last commands for God's will for us and our lives, individually as Christians and together corporately. So we're going to continue and look at our last set of basic commands for every believer, in which we're going to see how we, are, how we should respond to God's work in us by his spirit and his word to us through his spirit. How we are to respond to that. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And I want to go back to read into it from what I shared just a minute ago in verse uh, 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then our passage. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So it seems like that's a pretty quick uh, passage like the one we did two weeks ago, right? We should be able to share those things. We should say, yep, that's it, right? But the reality is, inherent in these commands is the truth in regards to our relationship with the living God and how we walk on this earth as believers in the midst of a dark and sinful world, even in these bodies of flesh before we're glorified. So then, this is how we are to respond to the Spirit of God's work in us and also his word to us. So how are we to do so? Again, we have this statement, first of all, do not quench the Spirit... And do not despise prophetic utterances. The first two commands are telling us not to do something. Not to do something. It's not telling us to do something, but it's telling us not to do something. And even in the Greek uh, formation of the grammar there, it's quite possible it could be translated, stop doing that also. It, both are really valid in that, the, way it's tra- the way the grammar is. You could see it if you're not doing it. To, if, if you're if you're not doing it, then don't do it. But if you are doing it, then stop doing it, right? And so the first thing we're going to see is we are not to extinguish or stop extinguish. We're to stop extinguishing the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You see, people extinguish or put out the Spirit of God's work in our lives. You think about it, the idea of a flame, whatever it might be, a flame just burns. It's not, it's just burning, right? And all it takes is a poof, and it's out, right? Or put something over it, and it's, and it's out, right? 
It's, it's doing something, but then it's light. It's lighting in a sense, right? But when you put it out, it's no longer doing what it was intended to do, as we'll say. And so he gives this command to the entire Thessalonian church of believers, those whom, whom had responded to the gospel with full conviction. They had turned to God from idols. They had trusted in Jesus Christ. And if you come here every Sunday and I share these things and you just, you're so frustrated every week you can't do it, well, maybe you don't know the Lord. Or maybe you have been quenching, as we'll see, the Spirit of God, and you have been setting aside his word. So this command is to believers, and then thus all Scripture being inspired and profitable for us. It's to us also. So we have the command, do not quench the Spirit. Now this particular sentence here has taken on a life of its own in charismatic churches to justify any and every activity that someone says the Spirit of God is behind. And so if to say the Spirit of God is behind this, then don't quench the Spirit. Don't stop that. Well, is that really what this passage is saying in the context of the rest of Scripture? Because we interpret Scripture with Scripture, not taking it independently and applying it to the, what we think it should be. I think we're going to see, unfortunately, many people are attributing to God activity that is at the flesh, the fleshly at best, and quite possibly demonic uh, and devoid of the Spirit of God, even though they would say it's the Spirit's work. Because Scripture, as we will see, is clear what the Spirit's work is in the body of Christ. So we have the command, do not quench the Spirit. The term quench means to extinguish or put out, put something out. You've got a little fire in your, in your kitchen and you tell your son, grab the fire stringer and quench that fire, right? Well, that's not what you would say, but that's actually what that word means. It means extinguish extinguish it speaks of causing activity to cease it speaks of extinguishing snuffing out a lamp or a fire ephesians 6 16 apostle paul uses this word this way in addition to taking up the shield of faith which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and so it means to put it out to cause it no longer to be uh, a flame that is there, right? If we put out a fire, it's not there anymore. It's not functioning as it should be. And so we have the strong command, do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not cause or cease or block the Spirit. And we're going to see, what does that mean? What does that mean? And to truly understand what that means, we need to understand what he means by the term, the Spirit. If you're not to extinguish something, what is he saying you're not to extinguish? He's talking about the Spirit of God. Now remember, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But yet God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct yet equal persons. And he is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the third person of what we call the Trinity. And so scripture reveals that when we believed in Jesus Christ, we received his spirit to dwell in us forever. We were sealed by the spirit of God, which means we were stamped in a sense by his spirit, identifying us as his possession. We were sealed and we also uh, were given the spirit as a pledge of our inheritance, the redemption of our bodies, the completion of the work of salvation, a down payment. And that happened when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle Paul reveals in Romans chapter 8, which we've been studying on the week, not week on Wednesdays, that if you do not have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. You're actually not saved yet. I say yet because you can be saved. And God desires that all men would be saved. So don't resist uh, his spirit in terms of the conviction of your sin. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the spirit in relationship to believers. But in terms of unbelievers, he convicts the world of sin and righteousness, right? And judgment. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You're not saved. Not saved. 
And we as believers are identified by the reality that we are being led by that same Spirit. That is innate to a relationship with the living God. So think about it as a flame is burning. It's burning, right? But if you extinguish that flame, whatever that the purpose of that has now been extinguished, right? So here he says, For if you were living, Romans 8, 13, according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If you are a true believer, you've received the Spirit of God to be with you forever, and you are being led, by and large, by the Spirit of God. Okay? That's what God is doing. And he also reveals... uh, in that context, that the Spirit within that even intercedes for us. God's Spirit is at work in our lives integrally in terms of the relationship we have with the Lord Himself. And so then, believers are led by the Spirit, and they've also received spiritual gifts, gifts by the Spirit that we are to use. So we are commanded to not quench or extinguish or put out the Spirit. Now, obviously, this cannot be speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit himself in that we could extinguish the person, third person of the Trinity, right? That's not possible. I can't extinguish God. So it has to be speaking of something in relationship to the Spirit and what the Spirit does in the lives of believers. He's not saying, do not snuff out, extinguish, cause to cease the Spirit of God in a general sense. He's talking about what the Spirit of God does in the lives of believers. Don't put it out. Don't put it out. Well, what is the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of believers? Well, you remember what Jesus told his disciples on the night he was betrayed in John chapter 14? He told them that he would not leave them orphans, but that he would send them another helper or comforter now the term another in greek there's two ways to say it another of a different kind and another of the same kind he says another of the same kind just like me just like i have comforted you just like i have helped you i'm going to send another one just like that the spirit of god and notice uh within that we see the truth that this helper, this comforter, this paraclete, the term paraclete speaks of one who comes alongside to speak to you in a sense. God helps us by coming alongside us and speaking to us. And he does that through his spirit. And we'll see how he does that. Indeed, John uh, 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, who is from the, who from the Father, will, who, who the Father will send in my name, He will, he's going to tell you something here. He will teach you all things. Okay, that's one of the rules of the Spirit of God. And bring to remembrance all that I said to you. The Spirit of God teaches us and brings to remembrance. So certainly if I'm quenching that, I'm not being taught, right? That might be part of it. Or I'm not allowing him to remind me of things. I'm pressing it down. I'm extinguishing it. But what he brings to remembrance, what he teaches us, is the truth that's revealed in the Word of God. And he brings it to remembrance, the truths about what Jesus has shared through his Word. Turn to John 16, verse 12. You see, I can extinguish the Spirit of God when I'm being prompted to not have that attitude. And I choose to ignore that. I choose to extinguish the Spirit of God's gentle, quiet work to lead me rather than to drag me, right? I can do that, but we're not to do that. John 16, verse 12. Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He's guiding you into the truth. Part of his role, right? For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said 
that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Spirit of God takes the things of Christ and discloses them to us. He illumines them. He helps us understand. We get spiritual understanding from the things that the Spirit has revealed, God has revealed through His Spirit in His Word. So then we have the Spirit of God who uses His Word to come alongside and help us, to comfort us. You know, when someone tells you the truth and they come alongside to help you, that's, that's help. That's help. God does that with His Spirit. We are helped, but we can choose not to listen, or we can choose to disregard or set aside or or push away. There are times where the Spirit will prompt us to do things based on His truth that we have learned in the Word of God. And we need to, in a sense, not put that out. You you see something that's not right. It's not right. It doesn't match up with with the things God has said. You you get out of there, right? You keep going, you see evil, and you proceed. You're going to suffer. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God. Now, primarily, God uses His Spirit in the context of teaching, illumining, and instructing, and when we'll see it, it has to do with convicting and all those things. Primarily, that happens through the Word of God. Turn to Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty. Second Peter one, verse twenty. The primary means in which the Spirit functions in the life of a believer is through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. And it's not a Word of God that's just generically out there by itself. It's God's Word spoken to us through and by His Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, now that speaks of prophetic, the word being spoken, thus saith the Lord, but then he says Scripture. The word Scripture always means written word. Prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not up to anyone to just decide what it means. It's not. Because he says here, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God's word was brought forth by his spirit as he moved men to bring it forth. And it was not from their will, but from God's will and desires. And God brings forth his word by his spirit, but he also helps us understand those things. And, 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 and within that, understanding he does things through his word in our lives second timothy three sixteen, all scripture written word is inspired god breathed god spoke it and he brought it forth by his spirit is god breathed and profitable beneficial for teaching so the spirit of god uses god's word to teach god uses his spirit through his word to teach us for reproof, that means uh, it's exposing things that are wrong in my life. For correction, that's making it right again. And then for training in righteousness, that we would be adequate, having been fully equipped for every good work. If I'm quenching the Spirit, I'm quenching the conviction of the Word of God. I'm quenching the ch- correction of the Word of God. I'm, con- I'm quenching the, te- the teaching of it. I'm, I'm pushing it out. I'm snuffing it out. And believe me, you can do that. You can make choices to disregard, in a sense, the Spirit's work through the Word of God. Now, we're going to see later on, you can disregard the Word, too. That's part of it, too. These things are together, by the way. We're going to see, do not quench the Spirit, don't despise prophetic utterances. They, they go together. So, if I am doing so, if I am quenching the work of the Spirit of God, I'm quenching the work of the Spirit to convict me and change me and make me more like Jesus. That's part of it, right? I hear the Word of God and I just kind of, I've got other things in my mind. I'm just setting it aside. God's trying to lead me. God doesn't drag you, He leads you. But you can snuff that out with your own understanding, your own wisdom, your own desires, which is contrary and hostile to God, by the way. You can snuff it out. And we know that God uses His Spirit to sanctify us through the Word in the context of faith. If I don't trust God, I'm snuffing things out. I'll bet, and you'll see that. We'll see that in a minute. Second Thessalonians 2.13 
But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God is setting us apart by His Spirit. He's convicting you those things are not right. And you can press that down. You can harden yourself to it. Or you can listen. You can not extinguish. Some people get to the point where they put it out and, it's, and they keep putting it out. The, bl- the wet blanket is on it all the time. They don't even realize anymore what's going on. They continue in that sin. And God has to discipline greatly. So we have here the reality that we're not to extinguish the Spirit. One pastor writes, We quench or hinder the Holy Spirit when we refuse to submit to His control in our lives. And that His control comes through the Word of God, by the way. What is our attitude towards the probing, convicting Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit? Are we quick to confess sin, repent, yield to the work of the Spirit? Or do we say no and push Him away and refuse to let Him deal with the issues in our hearts? We quench the Spirit when we do that, when we push away that conviction, when God is wanting us to see things rightly and just confess and be restored. To stop doing what we're doing, to stop thinking what we're thinking, and to be thinking rightly. When we don't do that, that we quench the Spirit. Well, what about, remember we saw back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, setting us apart. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God, the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God uses his Spirit to set us apart and make us like Jesus Christ. That was 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. He uses his Spirit to, to set us apart and make us like Jesus Christ, to sanctify us. It's sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We believe the truth and the Spirit does the work. Right? The Spirit does the work. So then, he uses his spirit to teach, to illumine the word of God, to cause us to be taught, convicted, corrected, trained in righteousness. He helps us in every area of life. And we are to be led by his spirit. We're to allow the spirit to control our thinking. We're not to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Allow the spirit to fill our hearts and minds, to control us. So if I'm quenching the Spirit, in a sense, I'm not allowing the Spirit's work through the Word to convict and change me. Stop doing that. Stop it. Your attitudes and your, and your, your, your desires over what you want to have happen in your life are causing you to choose that over just saying no and stopping and letting God change you. You can't come hear God's, you, or you can come hear God's word all afternoon, but if you're not willing to let it address your heart, you are quenching the Spirit. You can hear it all day long. So how do you respond to the Spirit's work convicting you? Do you yield in repentance, trust, obedience, and there's joy from that? For the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, we see those things. Or do you subtly resist ultimately living in disobedience? I can guarantee if you're not rejoicing and relying and, and you know, praying and, and, and resting in Christ, giving thanks for everything, then you're quenching the spirit of God's work because his work is to illumine the things of Christ and they cause us to rejoice and they cause us to be thankful and they cause us to pray. If you come here week after week, you hear the word and leave here with no renewed desire to thank the Lord for your great salvation and serve him, I think the spirit's getting snuffed out with no renewed desire to excel still more in love for one another, to excel in our great hope in Christ, to excel in purity, maybe the Spirit's getting snuffed out. If you come here week after week and hear the Word of God and leave here with no renewed desire to be appreciating those who lead you, no desire to be obedient and admonish and encourage and, and help the weak, no renewed desire to obey the Lord, Quenching the Spirit. You see, we are to actively yield to the Spirit's control, and when we don't, the fire is put out, in a sense. It's a picture. Now, certainly with non-believers, the picture of Spirit and fire is of judgment. God uses fire for judgment, but He also uses fire for purifying. 
And the Spirit of God is one that sets us apart, sanctifies us as we trust Jesus when we have faith in the truth. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, another way we can quench the Spirit is not relying on the Spirit's power and strength to enable us in everything in our lives. You see, I can believe all this, I can be convicted, everything, you know, but if I don't trust in the Lord, if I don't rely on His Spirit to work through me at my work, at, at, at school, at wherever it might be, then I am basically putting it out. Remember what Zechariah said? Then he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zechariah, or the word of the Lord to, from Zechariah to Zerubbabel, saying, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. It's the spirit of God that empowers the believer for a godly life. It's the spirit of God that empowers the believer to obey the word of God in every area. And that means you have to rely on the Lord Jesus and abide in him and trust in him. If you don't do that, you are quenching the spirit. If you go to your job and you just sit there and work all day long, you never are trusting God. You never give it over to his hands. You're not truly yielding it to him. Now, we get caught up in things. I'm not talking about that. But in a general sense, you are snuffing out the spirit of God. His work is effectively zero in your life all the work day. And guess what? Probably not a very good work day. Unless you're really prideful. And that's just as bad. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We see what God wants us to know. What God wants us to know about his power towards us. And where that power comes for comes from for believers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And actually, it's in italics there. And you may have a note there. The New King James does a better job. Having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's a perfect tense. It's already happened. Since you've been enlightened, since you know Jesus, he then says here, uh, so that you may know three things. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? God wants us to know how great his power is towards us if we're willing to trust him. Those who believe. And he says here, uh, and it's the power, this, these are in accordance with the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. And he goes on. It's resurrection power. And then turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians, because he prays again, and he, he reveals where that power is. He reveals where it is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, notice this, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's where the power comes from, to trust Jesus. That's where the power comes to overcome sin. That's where the power comes to abide in Christ. By his spirit in us. So that you may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is integral. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then notice this statement here, this, this doxology in a sense. Now to him who is able to do exceeding or exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. It's his spirit inside us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, in all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The power is not the problem. The faith is the problem. And when we don't trust Christ in what he has promised and said, we don't believe he will do what he says, then we snuff out the spirit's work in our lives. When we don't abide in him and the things he calls us to do, we're putting it out. And we are commanded, do not quench the Spirit. Stop quenching it. And some of you need to stop quenching. 
You're, you're quenching it because you are not trusting Jesus on a continual basis in every area of your life. And guess what? For that to happen, you need to be humbled. You need to repent. If you're not humbled, you're, 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 still, you're still prideful. Be humbled. So then, are you quenching the Spirit? Not allowing Him to empower you to live the Christian life through faith? We need to remember that we're not adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God. So then, we have the command, do not quench the Spirit. Or stop quenching the Spirit. Hopefully, if you've been doing so, you've been convicted and God is so good because all you got to do is just acknowledge to him, admit, confess, say the same thing. Lord God, I've been doing that and it's wrong. And he'll forgive you and you'll be, you'll be cleansed. And then trust him. Believe what he said. Let his spirit illumine the truth about our great God who is, can do exceedingly abundantly what we ask or think. You know, so often we have this such a terribly sinful, limited view of what God will do in terms of what he's promised when we're in difficulties. Don't quench the Spirit of God. So then, we have the first of the two negative commands. Do not quench the Spirit. This is for baby believers and for all of us, right? You bet it is. Then notice we have the second command. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, the term translated prophetic utterances is simply the Greek term propheteia, which speaks of prophecies plural. Prophecies plural. That's really what it is. Some translations will say, do not despise prophecies plural. Now, in the, now, the prophets in the Old and New Testament and those who had the gift of prophecy, they had the ability to receive and then communicate God's word. Communicate direct revelation from God. Just look through the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. They spoke from the Lord. Now, even in the Old Testament, we need to recognize this because there were genuine prophets and there were false prophets. Right? The genuine prophets revealed the truth about about the Lord and and man's sin and their need to turn from that to the Lord. Take, for instance, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. And I'll read this for you. Verse 21, the Lord says, I did not send those prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people. That's what a prophet did to my people. And he says here, and they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil, their evil of their deeds. Prophets speak his words to his people. That's what they did. So here in our passage, it says prophecies, plural. It's that which ultimately came from the mouth of the Lord. Now, it's important to realize at the time in which this was written, just a few years after the church was born, the church was in transition. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. And to the infant church, God was speaking to them through prophetic writings in the Old Testament and in the early church, but then it would become Scripture, prophecy of Scripture, as we say. Again, Second Peter chapter 1.20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, of written, the written word, is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by this Holy Spirit spoke from God. So in the early church we have the reality that God was using prophets to speak his word to edify and build up the church, as he did in the Old Testament. But we see that God changed what he did when he brought forth the fullness of his revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, he says very clearly in that, that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken through our son, through his son. And in the early church, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets of the early church brought forth and laid the foundation which would be the word of God. And so in the early church, not having the completed word of God, they did have some of the scriptures. We see the Bereans knew that, right? They examined the scriptures, right? 
But there was prophecy. There were those who spoke for the Lord. Not false prophets, but genuine prophets. And that's how they received the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 10, we see that God would literally, he says, do away with prophecy and knowledge. That the partial, was partial, was incomplete, would be done away, and then when the perfect or complete, word means complete, came. And I believe it's speaking of the word of God being completed. And don't forget, it was the foundation of the church built, a foundation. When you build a house, you don't just keep building a foundation. You finish the foundation and you build upon that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, 19. He says in 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not separate from God, but fellow citizens, our fellow citizens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Look at verse 20, Ephesians 2. Having been, not, not that you're, 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 you're still being built on it, or, or still, you, you, you have been, you've been established. Having been built upon something, right? The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus be, himself being the cornerstone, to whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built up together into a dwelling of the Holy Spirit in God. You have God who spoke in many different ways, but now has spoken through his son, and his son brought forth and instituted those apostles and prophets. He's the cornerstone, but he had them sharing his word, and we have the completed when they, before, at this time, they had the partial. So for us, how does it apply to us now that we have the completed word? How does it apply to us? First Corinthians chapter 13 reveals that those prophecies would be done away. First Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Very clear. I don't know why people can't accept that term. It says it very clearly. It says, if there are tongues, they will cease. Very clear. That says what it says. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Same word as the first one with prophecy. For we know in part, right? Then they knew in part. There was partial revelation, just like the Thessalonians. And we prophesy in part. It's partial, but when the perfect comes, it's in a neuter gender, it can't be speaking of Christ. The complete comes, the partial will be done away. It's complete. Very clear. So then, how does it apply to us? He's saying, don't despise his word. Don't despise, you could say it this way, the thus saith the Lord. Where is the thus saith the Lord? It's right here. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. What does that word despise mean? It means to treat something as of no account. When we think of despise, we always kind of add in the the hatred value in it, right? He despised him, you know, whatever it might be, right? We kind of add that in there. But it's really just treating of no account. Treating as nothing. Valuing very little. But you see, God is the one who builds us up. It is God through his word who builds us up. Acts 20, 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's all you need, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. So then we have this idea of despising. Do not or stop despising prophetic utterance. Stop downgrading it, considering it as nothing, setting it aside, rejecting, disregarding. Stop disregarding the word of God. It means it's there, but you're disregarding it. Stop disregarding it. You want to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful? Stop considering as nothing what God has said through his word, especially those things that apply directly to what you're going through right now. We don't disregard the things that don't affect us at times. Oh, we rejoice in that, but we disregard the things that are directly affecting us in relationship to our desires. We set that aside at times. Stop it. You see, the word is the means in which God brought us into a relationship with him. We are born again through the living and abiding word of God. In the exercise of our will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The reality is that we were saved by God through revealing himself through his word. The tremendous truth that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. All those tremendous passages, Second Peter and, and James 1 and, and uh, Romans chapter 10 and then chapter 1.
But it's God's word that also performs its work in us, right? We know that from Second Corinthians, Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter uh, three or chapter two, verse thirteen, about the word that performs its work in you who believe. We know that his word equips us and makes us adequate for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 It's the word that he uses to grow us in respect to salvation. 2 Peter 2.2 Listen to Psalm 19. This is the the right heart, the right attitude. And it's one who, who, who wants his meditation and his ways to be right before the Lord. He says a humble heart. Psalm 19 verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, much fine gold, sweeter than also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. That's Psalm 19. The reality is there's no shortcut, no program or book. It's God by his spirit through his word that makes us like Jesus. And it's totally sufficient. And yet Satan is tempting us to disregard, to set aside, to not see a value those things to disregard. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Well, sadly, you know, with Satan tempting man to function on their own wisdom and their own ways, we've seen in the last 30 years a wholesale despising of God's word in the evangelical church, very clearly. With the advent of the church growth movement that came out of missions, by the way, expository, spirit-led, rightly divided, verse-by-verse teaching of the word is almost completely given way to uh, a worldly, friendly, topical, fix-me-up-Jesus sermon. There's a lot of despising of the word going on in churches these days, and it's by their actions. What about us? How do we discredit and despise the word? How do we do so? Maybe it's relying on man rather than trusting in the wonderful counselor. Maybe it's Prozac rather than prayer. We're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's hoping in man or man's resolution rather than God. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Psalm 33, 17. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Who fear him? On those who hope for his loving kindness. The Lord is our hope. But we despise him and his word when we make other things such. Maybe you're not allowing your mind to be transformed. Maybe you're allowing it to be conformed to this world. You're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what God's will is. Maybe it's a laissez-faire attitude towards the gifting God has given you when God says, as each one has received a spiritual gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Are you setting aside God's word? And like I shared earlier, often that is in the areas that are directly applying to our lives right now. We believe the great truths about the Lord, but when it comes to him saying, do not be angry... You know, or be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down. We just kind of despise that. We set it aside. Are you doing that? Do not do it. Stop doing that. Stop. Stop. Is there any way we are settling, setting aside, lessening, ignoring the word? Maybe someone's come alongside you and is telling you the word of God, but you are not listening. You know, I'm saddened at times when I counsel with people who've just been in a Bible study, they've just heard a sermon, and they don't seem to remember the truth that they've heard in that sermon because it would apply and take care of the very needs that they're wanting to counsel about. They didn't hear it. Or they didn't apply it. They set it aside. And then they have trouble, and they wonder why. 
What does the writer of Proverbs say? Proverbs 28, verse 9. He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Don't turn your ears away. Be willing to be sensitive to, to listen, to hear God's word, to, to have his spirit come and speak to you gently and comfort you through his word. Accept what he says. Allow it to change your heart that you would become more like Jesus. Then you'll rejoice. Then you'll be giving thanks. Uh, then you'll be praying without ceasing. So then, we're not to despise prophetic utterances and we are not to quench the spirit. But notice there's something connected to it. We are to be discerning also. We are not simply just to hear the word and walk away. We're not simply to just let the spirit work in us, per se. We're to be discerning. And that means we make choices. We make choices that are right. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Here, the context obviously would be examining the prophecies, the prophetic utterances that had come across, examining it carefully. Examine everything carefully. Now, every translation except for the NESB does not have the, the, the but in there, and I believe that's not right. In the Greek, there is a conjunction, de, day, and it means but. It's not in there, but it should be, because they're connected. They're connected. Do not besties prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Now the term examine carefully, two words, it's really one word in Greek, dokimadzo, there's some Greek words that sound cool, right? Dokimadzo. And this Greek word speaks of examining for the sake of proving it to be genuine. You know, I don't examine the gold to prove it's not genuine. I examine it to prove that it is genuine. That's the, that's the goal. The goal is to prove it genuine. Now, we might find out it's not in that examination process, but the goal is to prove it genuine. It's to examine, to test. To examine by testing every prophetic utterances, all those things. You see, in the old days, there were true and false prophets. And guess what? There are false there are false teachers now there's teachers and there are false teachers yes there are false prophets every prophet is a false prophet right now by the way every single one by the way but concerning teachers there are true teachers and false teachers what does peter share again in second peter turn to second peter second peter chapter 1 verse 20 again we're examine everything what you hear from me you're to examine you're to carefully look at it and test it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's the written word, is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. Now notice what he says, chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose, that's the past, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, future. Right? And he says, who will secretly, they don't do it outright, they do it secretly, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Test everything. The application for us is every teaching we hear that is brought forth in the word of God, we are to test every single one of us. Test it. Test it. You see, even back in that day, there were those that were sending bogus letters as if they were written by Paul. They needed to test it to make sure that it was truly of God or not. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul makes this point to these Thessalonians. That there were those who were sending stuff and as, as on the authority of Scripture when it wasn't. And it was upsetting them. They needed to test it. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now we request you, request you, brethren, in, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. Hey, that's not from us, he's saying, basically. There were false prophecies. There were false teachers even false letters trying to be on par with the scripture being written false 
Examine everything carefully. Examine what you hear. Even these uh, so-called expository teachers, just because it's expository doesn't mean it's actually interpreted and applied rightly. Be careful. Don't just blanketly say, hey, it's expository teaching, I like that. You need to test it. Is it actually in the intent? This is what I pray all the time. Lord, may what I share be exactly what you intended. What you intended. So then, examine everything carefully. Be discerning. Good, bad, true, untrue, right, deceptive. Be discerning. Be like a Berean, Acts chapter 17. They were actually called and spoken of as more noble than the Thessalonians, Acts 17, because they examined the scriptures. They tested it by the word that they had, by the way, to see if it was so. Even though they didn't have the completed word, they examined what Paul said by the word they had to see if it was so. And now we have the completed word. Examine it. Examine it. We need to be discerning. The sermon is out the window in the church these days. There's this thing I heard about this, this uh, whatever it's called in, in Portland, these groups trying to have a, a, a revival instead of riots. Well, if you look at the groups that are doing it, some of them are, they're baptism to be saved groups. Where's the discernment of churches joining in with this? False gospel. Philippians chapter 1, take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Just because someone shares the word of God doesn't mean it's being shared rightly as God intended. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And uh, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and what? All discernment. This is for a baby church in Thessalonica. He's telling them to test in all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. You may, you may say yes of those things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Biblical discernment is based on the, the knowledge of biblical truth that God has brought forth. We had this read to us earlier, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Speaking of the word, who because of practice have trained their senses to discern good and evil. You know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There are a lot of things being portrayed as good in the Christian community, and they're not good. They're actually evil. They're actually evil. So then, we see even that we are to as Paul would share with the Romans, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's a discerning love. It's discernment. So how do we become wise? How do we become discerning? How is it that we can then discern? As I mentioned, it's already through the Word of God. It's having our senses trained. But one last passage I want to share. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. It's God through His Word that gives us discernment. Gives us the ability to make right choices. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you. That says, hey, you got a heart that loves my word and thinks it's valuable. You treasure what I say. And do you treasure what God says? He says, if you do, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, you search for her as hidden treasure... Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He gives and stores sound sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice. He preserves the way of his godly ones. Notice this verse. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Why? Because you desired God's wisdom, you desired to hear his word, you loved it. He says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard over you, understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Then you'll discern it. Then you will. 
Test what you hear. Be discerning. Be discerning. And notice, we should act upon what we test as we finish here. Back in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. And then notice two more commands. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, I'm being discerning. I'm seeing what's good. I'm going to hold fast to it. That means cling tightly. It speaks of possessing. It could speak of holding something tightly in your, in your mind. I'm going to hold it tightly in my mind. Paul tells the Corinthians with this same word. Now I praise you, 1 Corinthians 11:2, that you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions that I delivered to you, just as I delivered. You're holding firmly to the truth. You're doing it in your head. 1 Corinthians 15:1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, also which you received, and which you also stand by, which you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preach you. Hold fast. Hold fast that which is good. That which is good. Grasp it in your mind. Hold tightly to it. Don't hold to the junk that you allow going there concerning your circumstances and situations and the evil going around you. Get rid of that junk. Hold tightly to that which is good. Hold tightly to that. Get rid of that junk you're holding tightly to. Get rid of it. Hold tightly to what is good. Lots of believers holding on to that which is not good. But we are to hold fast tightly to that which is good in context of what God has revealed in his word, which applies to everything. And then notice we're commanded to do something in a subtle contrast. Lastly, abstain from every form of evil. This is the last real command in this book. There's some other ones about, you know, you know, have the letter read and those things, you know. This is the last real strong command here. Abstain means to hold yourself from, to keep away. Keep away. Stay away. And it's in a middle voice, even though it's an imperative command, which speaks of the subject's personal interaction. Hold yourself apart from. Keep yourself apart from. And notice what he says. From what? From every form of evil. Now, it's interesting because the term form can be translated appearance because the term form means what you see. What you see. If I look at the form of that, I see a piano. You see what I'm saying? And that's the, it has the appearance of a piano in a sense. So they translate it that way. That's where we get this term, stay away from the appearance of evil. But that's really not what this is saying. That statement is saying, stay away from what, what, what could be seen by someone else as evil, but it may not be, right? That's what that's saying. But this says, stay away from every form of evil. Every manifestation of evil there is. Every single form there is. There is evil that the hypocrite understands very clearly. The Pharisees stayed away from evil. Paul said, concerning the law, perfect, I was righteous. They stayed away from, I never did this. The rich uh, young guy came to Jesus, so, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've stayed away from that. That's not every form of evil. There was an evil in his heart, he was greedy. There's an evil in the Pharisees' hearts, they're hypocrites, self-focused. Stay away from every form of evil. See, I need to recognize that when I don't trust God, that's actually evil. It's not just the worldly stuff out there, yeah, that's evil, I can spot that. It's evil for me to get angry at you and irritated at you. That's evil, actually. It's evil for me not to forgive you. It's evil for me to have a bad attitude. It's evil for me not to trust Jesus. Those are just little examples. Stay away from every form. Turn away. Get away from it. Get away from it. Avoid every manifestation of evil there is. Psalm 22, or Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent sees evil and hides himself. He sees it. This is not good. My attitude's going wrong. This is, this is bad. Get away from it. Confess it. Get away from it. So often, the hypocrite talks about all the other evil they don't do, and they can point at everyone else, but there's all kinds of evil going on that they need to stay away from. Sometimes we need to confess, and then we are away from it. Right? Praise the Lord. And we're forgiven and cleansed. So then, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. 
but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is what God wants us to do, brothers and sisters. Let's not forget it. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Lord, help us not to be those who treat your word lightly, who extinguish the work of your spirit in our lives. Help us to be those who hold fast to that which is good, having tested your your truth, tested what we hear, and hold fast to the good. And Lord, help us to stay away from every form of evil. Lord, I thank you that apart from your spirit working in us and your word, it's impossible. But if we trust you and rely on you and abide in you, your power is surpassing what we can even imagine towards us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit that works in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.